can be seated. Well, you look good this morning. You sound even better. As you were singing that, I was just grateful to be in the midst and in the presence of the Lord. It's been some busy, busy days. Uh, I returned late Friday night from the Bahamas and you know, some of my friends, I, I talked to one of my friends, Jesse, from North Carolina. He said, man, I, I wish I had a job like yours. I said, what do you mean? He said, yeah, you're always jet-setting over to the Bahamas or Cuba or, or in Haiti. Or uh, I said, have you looked at what's going on in Haiti lately? I said, you think that's jet-setting? He said, I know, but you're always in these island paradises. I said, well, I come with me. In fact, I'll be leaving in the morning at 7 o'clock, going to Marsh Harbor, and then to Freeport all in one day and be back tomorrow night around 7 or 8 o'clock whenever, whenever our pilots get us back home. But we'll, we'll be going to celebrate with six, church, six churches on Marsh Harbor that now have roofs on their building. And they will be worshiping uh, today in those buildings uh, with a few people. Not a lot of people back there yet, but we're beginning to see the churches being restored, and we're taking part in that, as well as the pastor's homes, and, and uh, we're working with Mission of Hope, Convoy of Hope, a lot of different partners there, but we're just so thankful that God is, is moving in that restoration project, and uh, we get to be a part of that, so it's, it is a good thing. I, I will just encourage you to pray to pray for Haiti. Right now, Haiti is in great turmoil, and uh, there's a lot of disruption, a lot of rioting going on. Pray for the Bahamas. Uh, I, was, I was in the prime minister's office on Friday, and he looked at me, and he said, I have not heard what I just heard, that you are here to restore uh, the, the, the mission or the, the church of God, the buildings, the pastors, the men of God, and then the people of God. And he said, I think there's something very special to what you're doing. Now, this is a man that, that heard from the Chinese this week to the tune of about $70 million. We can't offer that to him. But what we can offer is, is a lot of hard work and a lot of people that will be praying and that will be joining together to restore the Bahamian church. And so I believe God will honor that, and I believe God will use that. Uh, my name is Alan Spear, and I'm the, the transitional pastor here. I almost said the transformational pastor. <laughs> the transitional pastor here. Uh, for some of you that were here last week, and, and I didn't share that with you, some of you thought I was the pastor here. I am for this period of time, and I hope that you're praying for your transition team. I'll meet with them tonight at 530, and then we'll be meeting together the next two Sundays. I hope that you will come as John has encouraged you to, prepared. Bring that list of questions and bring your, if you're like me, you better type it out and print it out. You better not handwrite it because nobody in the building would be able to read it. My staff at Agape Flight say, uh, when I first got there almost 10 years ago now, that's hard to believe, but almost 10 years ago, they, one of my staff members looked at me and said, I think you were either a mass murderer or a doctor in your previous life. 
I said, that's not nice. They, she said, she looked at me and she said, I can't read your writing. I said, well, I'm sorry, but I write fast and I scribble it in. That's why now I, I write out everything and, and I type out everything and I hand people things that they can read. Well, this morning we're going to look into God's word and I hope you brought it with you. We're, we're going to turn this morning to the book of John chapter 14. There are a couple of passages that I want us to look at this morning. And I want us to think of this thought in the, in the continuation of this series. I want, to, I want us to think of the thought of getting off the couch. Boy, I tell you what, y'all are alive this morning. I figured somebody would, would shout or something, but get off the couch. And I want you to meet the Jesus who calls us to stop playing it safe. Listen to what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus left this life having done what he was called by the Father to do, and that was to be a sacrifice for us. He paid the price, willingly giving his life, but he rose again so that we might be justified and so that we might be forgiven. Now, now there is a new idol in America. It's not one of the usual suspects. It's not sex or drugs or materialism. This new idol is so powerful and yet so pervasive that it can dominate your, your actions and your decisions and can really determine your destiny. People who cave into it see their dreams discarded, their hearts begin to shrivel, their faith is diminished, their growth is stunted, its victims live shriveled souls. What is that idol? It's the idol of safety. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Americans have grown up obeying signs posted everywhere. In fact, safety first. Over the last 30 years, we have created the most risk-aversive society in history. We are the most seat-belted, bike-helmeted, airbag, knee-pad-wearing, private school, gluten-freed, hand-sanitized, peanut-avoiding, sunscreen-slathering, hyper-insured, massively medicated, password-protected, valet park security system inoculated generation in history and all of it has been done to make everyone more afraid of everything i'm not talking about risk for risk's sake but i believe this new safety idol is destroying our faith many christians don't serve they come to be entertained or to be informed, but they don't serve. Why? It might not be safe. You see, many and most Christians don't dream big dreams. Why? It might not be safe. So many Christians don't share their faith or take a stand. Why? It might not be safe. Often Christians don't tithe or give sacrificially. Why? It might not be safe. You see, most Christians don't break habits or take risk or build relationships or have adventures. Why? All for one reason. It might not be safe. 
I saw the envelope. As Jennifer brought it in, it was addressed to me. And I immediately, I thought, I wonder what's in there. It was a, a rather large size envelope. And on the outside of the envelope, it said, your invitation to adventure. Whew. I began to think about a trip down the Amazon or a hang gliding lesson. Let me tell you, you put this 200 and none of your business up in a hang glider, and that's an adventure. I began to think about maybe a real invitation to the Oval Office or a, a safari in Africa. I opened the envelope and discovered that my invitation to adventure was, wait for it, wait for it, a packet of coupons to University Town Center. Now, if you're looking for more in life than a trip to Walmart, and I am, by the way, if you refuse to believe that the ultimate goal in life is walking slowly up to your grave and falling in safely, if you want more on your tombstone than the phrase, what a relief, nothing bad happened, then today's message is for you. I want us to experience adventure. You see, let's look at the price tags of playing it safe and then listen to what Jesus said about dismantling this safety first idol. Playing it safe, first of all, limits our impact. Almost, well, about nine and a half years ago, I had the awesome privilege, in fact, at that time, one of our board members is a member of your church here. He's seated right down here. He's seated on the second row. Art McInich was on the, the, the board of directors of Agape Flights that asked me to come and be the CEO of Agape Flights. I love this man. I will love him, uh, not just during this lifetime, but through eternity, because we've already made our reservations where we're sitting together in heaven. Okay? And I like him because he is not ashamed to say, well, glory, He'll do that every once in a while, and I'll think, well, the Baptists are not dead yet because Art is still here. But I would tell you that, that Art could verify what I'm going to share with you this morning. When I got to Agape Flights some nine and a half years ago and began to discover some things that not only were we in litigation, we were in debt. And I don't mean a few dollars. I mean, we owed a company in Okmulgee, boy, if you say that very often, you'll get in trouble. Okmulgee, Oklahoma, $275,000. We owed them for a rental engine that went down in the drink that we didn't pay for. And so we were in this federal lawsuit. We were in this involved in litigation. I got there and I began to look and try to figure out how we were going to pay for our staff and how we were going to pay the bills. And, and I began to pray because, you see, I'm not an aviator and I'm not a technician. I, I'm a preacher of the cross. I'm a leader. But I began to pray because that's what, that's what God had shown me we needed to do. We needed to pray. And I, I would gather the staff together and we would pray together. And, and we, we, we would pray and we would seek God. And I began to try to, weigh, try to find a way to to not only pay for this $275,000 that I knew we were going to owe at some point in time, I figured that we would probably have to mortgage our, our paid off building in order to pay for that. 
Well, God began to move in mysterious ways. God gave us an airplane. It was an RG-182. It's not a, a big airplane, but the, the donor of that airplane said, you can sell that airplane. Man, when he said that, I said, wow, that'd be great because we can sell that for seventy or $75,000, and that's seventy or $75,000 that we don't have right now. I went to my first International Aviation Missions Association conference, and I met a man there by the name of Cecil Bedford, who was at that time head of Moody Aviation out in Spokane, Washington. I was trying to impress everybody, you know. I was sitting around the table with a bunch of aviators, and I'm a preacher. I wasn't very impressive, because they were all talking in this and this acronym kind of language that I didn't understand. They would, they would throw out an airport code, and I'd, I'd just kind of look at them like, say what? What was that? Or they'd speak in, in pilot lingo, and I'm going, huh? What, what was that? He did say, though, Cecil said, hey, guys, I'm looking for an RG-182. Well, I knew what that was because I had been given one. And I handed him my card, and I said, call me. When you get home, I'll sell it to you cheap. That was a lie. <laughs> I was ready to sell it because I needed, Agape Flights needed the money. On the way home from Spokane, Washington, or excuse me, from Nampha, Idaho, I was reading my Bible like I, I do so often when I sit in, a, especially a long flight. I had my headphones on. I was listening to good worship music. And it was like God just stopped my spirit. And he said, Alan Spear, give that airplane to Moody Aviation. Lord, have you lost your mind? <laughs> We're broke. We're in debt. I got to have that money to, Lord, to pay my staff. I, I let him know that. Lord, I'm more concerned about, no, I was concerned about how I was going to get paid. And the Lord said, give the airplane away. I can't do that, Lord. The board, the board would have to approve that, and they wouldn't approve that. Ask them. Well, I did. I, I finally surrendered, and I went and asked the board. The board voted four to one, and I'm happy to say that Art voted for us to give that airplane away. And we gave that airplane to Moody Aviation. Some people thought I was crazy because they knew the status of where we were financially. Six weeks later, I get a call from then a member of this church that worked at Morgan Stanley, David Stratton. Dave said, Alan, uh, Agape Flights has been named in an estate. You're going to get 70% of that. I'll meet you in a couple of weeks to tell you, but it's six figures. Well, it happened to be $750,000. $750,000. $750,000. Now, that money had to go in perpetuity. In other words, it could not be spent. It had to go into an endowment fund, but we could utilize the resources that the interest off of those funds. It was amazing. Six weeks later, Covington Aircraft in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, called me and said, we've been watching you for the last year. We've been watching you through these hearings. We could not talk to you, but we know you. We know, we know what you stand for, and we want you to understand and know that your debt has been forgiven. I have sent you a letter saying that we have made an investment of $275,000 in the ministry of Agape Flights. Your debt is paid in full.
We sold an airplane, excuse me, we gave an airplane away that was worth probably around seventy dollars or $75,000. Now, if I'd have listened to Alan and my first impulse, we would have used that money to pay our staff, to make sure we had a little cash. But God said, I want you to take this risk. I want you to trust me that I'm bigger. Playing it safe limits our impact. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, that, that 750000 has never been touched. So far as I'm concerned, it won't be touched for a long, long time because I believe that the giver of that money wanted us to have it for perpetuity, that someday we wouldn't have to have our staff raise their own support so that we could pay them. And now it's worth about $1.2 million. I would tell you that God will do the impossible when we don't limit him. Secondly, playing it safe shrinks our faith. Try to turn to a passage, any passage in the Bible, where God calls someone to, to playing plain it safe. Abraham leaves the familiar. Moses goes to Pharaoh. That was real safe, wasn't it? Esther puts her life in danger to persuade the king. David takes on the giant. Joshua crosses a river. Peter gets out of the boat. Jesus goes to the cross. Authentic faith is developed only when we respond to the call of God and take a risk. And that's because when we take a risk, we learn that God can and will come through. We learn that God can do what we can't do on our own. I can't find a single verse in Scripture where Jesus says, come follow me, play it safe. It's not there. Number three, playing it safe stunts our growth. Some, some time ago, a father in a church where I pastored took me aside and he said, I'm thinking about letting my daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, go on the mission trip with you all to Mexico. But I have one question. Can you guarantee me, pastor, it's going to be safe? Now, what would you have told that dad? You see, for several years, we had been transporting. I had served alongside of people, hundreds of students on our annual trip to El Coyote, Mexico. Sounds like a fun place. My reply to him was, no, I cannot guarantee complete safety, but I can guarantee you this. It's going to be much safer for your daughter to go to Mexico to learn to trust God to go public about her faith, to serve the poor, to develop a heart of generosity for other people and live where she actually has to depend on God than it ever will be for her to grow up in our community without stretching her faith or learning to take risk and much safer than following the same routine every day where things that, that, that she doesn't need God, she's got them right there. That father looked at me and he said, I'm going to let her go. He was never, ever sorry for that. Ladies and gentlemen, if I came to be the pastor of this church, one of my goals would be that at least 75% of the congregation would go on at least one short-term mission trip. Because when you do that, and I know what some of you are saying right now, well, but, but I'm old, I can't go. Yes, you can. 
I can take you right now. In fact, I will be there tomorrow in Marsh Harbor. There are 80 and 90, there's a 90-year-old man right now who is staying on Marsh Harbor working on churches, 90 years old. Don't tell me you can't. You can. God can use you. But I would tell you that so many times Christians stop serving because it might not be safe. They stop tithing and giving because they think it might not be safe for your finances. There's nothing more greater for your finances than you saying, God, you are the owner. I'm just the manager and you have called me to be the steward. They stop sharing because it might be embarrassing. They stop risking. They stop asking God what he wants them to do and then slowly develop an apathetic, boring, safe faith. I knew I was going to have to say this this morning. My friends who know me well know that I don't really often like hanging out with a lot of Christian people. How come? Because sometimes I think we have forgotten how the real world lives. And so I enjoy playing golf with guys that when they spit, the grass turns brown. I mean, I enjoy playing golf with, with guys who say, you know, and, and it's, it's crazy because I don't go, hey, by the way, you're playing golf with a pastor. No, I don't do that because I don't want them to know that. And then, and then when they play golf with me, they know that, that I'm not much of a golfer, that I, I like to play. I love the competitiveness of it. But, but there have been times when, when I've spent and the, the, the grass has turned brown. Because I'm telling you, that, that when you take a risk and God comes through for you, then he becomes real to you. That fires up your heart and it starts your path to rediscovering a faith that is alive. There are times when I don't want to be around Christians because sometimes we get in this attitude that, oh, we're perfect. No, you're not. Oh, my goodness. Hang out with me for a little while and you'll go, wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, playing it safe shrivels our hearts. Oh, man, when I started thinking about this, I was talking to my wife about it. If you are a Christ follower, Jesus is going to challenge your faith by asking you to do some, some what, what, what seems to be impossible. He is going to say, I want you to go on that mission trip. I can't, I can't spend that time or the money, God. I want you to start tithing. Lord, I can't afford it. You can't afford not to. I want you to go and talk to that person about me. I'm afraid of that, God. I want you to ask forgiveness from that person. I can't do that, God. I want you to lead a small group Bible study. I, I don't know how, God. I want you to work with middle school students. You've got to be kidding, God. <laughs> so how do we break free, ladies and gentlemen, from the idol of safety? Matthew chapter 14. Verse 28 and 29. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. That's what he's saying this morning. First Baptist Church, listen to me. He's saying, church, come. 
walk on the water. So Peter got out of the boat. There's the key. He got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. You also, by the way, know the rest of the story. Peter has taken flack for 2,000 years for taking his eyes off Jesus and starting to sink. And every one of us would have been guilty of that because you know what I would have done? I would have walked right out on that water and then I'd been... <laughs> and so would you. Jesus said, hey, Peter, hey, Pete, get your eyes on me. Ladies and gentlemen, the other 11 disciples stayed in the boat and never gave it a shot. Whew. They missed out on that once-in-a-lifetime chance to walk on the water. Why? They were playing it safe. The only way to break the grip of fear is to get out of the boat. Quickly, let me give you five steps real quickly for everyone in here who wants to dismantle the idol of safety. Number one, stop saying no to everything just because it's scary. <laughs> almost 30 years ago, I started going to Cuba, but I almost missed the best thing God would ever do with me for one reason, fear. Fear is the dark room where negatives develop. Fear will cause you to miss the best thing God wants to do with you. And I stand here this morning with a, with a real passionate message for you today. Don't miss God. I will tell you that I almost missed the opportunity of a lifetime because fear had gripped my soul. I began to read all of the things that they were saying about Castro and about Cuba and about all those things. And little did I know that God would take me to the very office of the president of Cuba to share the unconditional love of Christ. We need not fear. We just need to follow. When we are so fearful, we begin to shrink back. Stop saying no to everything because it's scary. Number two, start praying some dangerous prayers. The most dangerous prayer you will ever pray is, Lord, your will be done. Lord, here am I. Do whatever you want to do with me. I'm yours. Father, here's First Baptist Church. Right here. This isn't First Baptist Church. This is First Baptist Church. Here we are, Lord. We want to be used in this city, in this county, in this state. Lord, whatever you want to do with us, do it. And we'll follow you. That's a dangerous prayer. Because you see, Jesus, when he prayed, thy will be done, you and I need to learn how to pray dangerous prayers more often. Once we pray it, we start to listen for the call of God in our lives, and then we act on what God tells us. And God gets the glory and the honor and the praise. Number three, get out your wallet. Hmm. Gratitude is one of the healthiest human emotions. The Apostle Paul said, God loves a cheerful or hilarious giver. Somehow joy and giving are connected. Giving breaks the grip of materialism in life. 
Jesus taught us not to make this world our home. This world's not my home. Somebody said, you know, where do you live? I live in Venice, Florida. I live at 1121 Dearden Drive. 34292. But that's not my home. Well, don't you and Jennifer live there? Absolutely, we live there. But both of us will tell you that we know that that's not our final destination. Somebody else is probably going to live in that house after we're gone. But Jesus said, if I go, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He's preparing a place for me. He's got a mansion for me. And that's my final destination. This is, this is a temporary place. And I'm here temporarily, and so are you, by the way. But we've got work to do while we're here. But our final destination, our home, is heaven. Stop watching. Number four, try living. Hmm. You see, so many people that I run into day after day after day claiming to be Christians are just absolutely going through the motions. They go to church every Sunday and successive Sundays, but nothing happens between those Sundays that they can talk about or brag about that God has done in their lives. Listen, if, if all I did was come to church on Sunday morning and, and didn't live out this life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, tomorrow I'll have the privilege of being with some of the most phenomenal people in the world. And I will have alongside me people, news reporters, some news reporters out of Tampa and Sarasota uh, will be with me on that airplane. I don't know about their spiritual condition, but I'm going to find out. You see, I've got it in with the pilots that right at the right time we take a little dip. No, I'm teasing you. I'm teasing <laughs> Some of y'all thought, oh man, he's manipulating that witness. You know, sometimes when you're flying, uh, things just happen at the right time. And I was on an airplane one time that dropped about 10,000 feet. And I, I honestly thought, this is it, Lord. This is it. And so did everybody else. It was amazing what people say in the midst. I mean, they, they'll cry out to Jesus and they hadn't talked to Jesus in months. But they cry out to Jesus. No, I won't, I won't manipulate that, but I can guarantee you that I'm going to tell them the reason why we're doing what we're doing today is because God has called us to this. And God has called us to help these churches be restored and these pastors to be restored and for the community to be restored. Number five, realize what's at stake. The four most depressing words in the English language are these. It's just too late. For Moses, it looked like it was. Moses killed a guy trying to do God's work his own way, and he ended up a fugitive hiding out in the wilderness, a runaway murderer, an escaped felon, a, a has-been. Thinking he was washed up, Moses saw God in a burning bush. He heard the call, and eventually he went back to Egypt. After a 10-round prize fight, Pharaoh let the Israelites start marching out. 
only to run straight into the banks of the Red Sea. And they were trapped, so Moses stopped going forward, and he prayed. I love what happened next, because it's the only time in the Bible that I can find God telling somebody to stop praying. God said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And God said not to stand still or to move sideways, but to go forward. And he said, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all, the, all that night God drove that sea back till where it stood in heaps. And the next morning, the Israelites were able to walk over on dry ground with a wall of water on the left and on the right. Now get this picture, don't miss this. The Israelites were, were walking through, they were almost through, and the Egyptians pursued them. So all of Pharaoh's horses and the chariots followed them into the sea and then God told Moses to stretch out your hand over the water. And the entire Egyptian army had to learn to tread water pretty quick. Look at what happened. The minute Moses said yes to God, he experienced the unlikely but commanding performance before Pharaoh. After he said yes, two million people were freed from hundreds of years of slavery. After he said yes, he watched that Red Sea part and two million people escape onto dry ground. After he said yes, he received the Ten Commandments, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, and experienced the miracle of manna, Mount Sinai, the Promised Land, and yes, the Shekinah glory of God. The best years of Moses' life happened only after saying yes. None of these experiences would have happened had Moses not stopped wallowing in self-pity and finally started to say yes to God. When you say yes to God, incredible things begin to happen. So much of my life I thought, as a preacher's kid and then as a pastor myself for many, many years, I would only, and nothing wrong with this, but God would let me continue doing that for the rest of my life. And I've got to tell you that I think God has given me really the best of, of all my world. Because I get to come in and help churches like yours. I get to come in and fall in love with people and, and enjoy, enjoy those relationships. Come in and meet your staff and, and try to be an encouragement to each one of them and, and, and do all of those things. And yet God has called me to lead an aviation missions ministry. And even this week, God said to my heart, Alan, I, I'm not done. Even though Agape Flights will soon be 40 years old, I believe there's a second stage of ministry, a second phase, a second arm of ministry, rather than just the airplanes. I believe God is calling us now into a, a crisis relief and response ministry also. 
mean, after all, he's called us to share the unconditional love throughout the nations of the Caribbean. And, and there are going to be hurricanes and earthquakes, and there are going to be uprisings and riots in various locations. And so I believe God is calling us not only to fly aircraft and, and cargo and supplies and mail, but he's, he's calling us to deliver hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. I figured most of my life I would be standing in a pulpit somewhere I would be in your home. I would be in a hospital somewhere ministering to someone who was sick. I would be at one of your kids' ball games rooting them on as their pastor. And, and again, let me make sure you understand that I don't think I have taken a step up. I believe God always gave me up whatever role I was in. He gave me the very best. And if God called me and said, Alan, I want you to leave Agape Flights. There's another leader that you have raised up that is now going to take it to a different height. If God said to me, I want you back in the pastorate, I would gladly go. Because I just want to be where God wants me to be. But I would tell you that 20 years ago in my life, if you would have told me I would have been sitting in the Bahamian prime minister's office on a Friday the first Friday of October, talking to him about the things of God, I would have said, that's crazy. I'll never have that opportunity. Folks, we're dealing with the God of impossibilities. Amen. Don't limit this church. Stop limiting your church, God's church, by saying we can't, or we can't do this because we don't have the money. God's got the money. Stop talking in those terms and start living out what God has called you to do. Oh, but pastor, we need to see it first. No, you don't need to see it. You need to be obedient and say, God, if this is what you called us to do, we're going to do it. Whether eyes see it or not, we're going to do it because you've called us to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so imperative that you show up the next two Sunday nights. Next Sunday night and the 20th, the 13th and the 20th. It is so imperative that you are prayed up, that you don't come with your own agenda, that you don't come saying, I, I wanna do this because it's good for me. I'm not even interested in hearing that. I wanna hear about what God has really burdened your heart that First Baptist Church should be doing because it will reach people. Don't come in with your agenda. Don't come in saying, well, back in the 1980s, this is what we... I'm not interested in the 80s. It's 2019, almost 2020. We need to have better, clearer vision. Hey, that'll rhyme. 2020, clearer vision. Y'all, come on. You're looking at me real serious right now. Because it is serious, isn't it? It is serious. What is the mission of First Baptist Church? What has God called us to do? Why aren't we doing it? What will it take for us to say, I'm getting off the couch. I'm getting out of the boat. I'm following Jesus. He's coming to walk on water. I'm going toward him. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.